Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Meet the Entrepreneur podcast. This is Artin Zahiri and I am the co-host of this feature along with Ramir Kashwani. Today we are speaking with Nestor Hugo Solari, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Sigo Seguros. Sigo Seguros is an inclusive auto insurance provider focused on serving the Spanish-speaking community. The company provides transparent, reliable, and affordable prices that remove fees and biased rating factors that have disproportionately affected minorities. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, Sigo Seguros is, uh, I guess, my response to, to what I thought was unfair practices in the insurance industry. It's an inclusive insurance provider. Um, and it's really kind of our attempt at removing a lot of the biases that exist in traditional underwriting and rating. And, but, but furthermore, building a product that's created for immigrants in the working class, right? Um, I think generally you look at insurance companies and they're focused on a very specific type of customer, um, affluent, suburban, increased coverage. And, and that leaves out a lot of people, particularly in the, in the Latinx community. And so I saw some family members struggling to get auto insurance, which confused me at the time. And, and since kind of since then, I, I, I dove in and, and put this together. Amazing, amazing. And, you know, I think uh, I was we were really inspired by kind of the, the reason you founded it. You kind of experienced your family members struggle with this firsthand. Um, I'd love to just kind of dive into your background a bit. Maybe you can tell us um, your startup story. Yeah, I saw you have, uh, you know, traditional finance experience working in investment banking and private equity. I'm curious to hear how it all came together and when you decided was the right time to pursue uh, something like this. Yeah. Um, man, this, uh, I, I, hadn't planned to go into insurance. I hadn't really planned to be, I guess, uh, an operator even, but I, I studied finance undergrad. So my parents are Uruguayan. Um, my family decided to move back to Uruguay after I graduated high school. And so I moved there. Um, after a while, decided to come back, uh, different opportunities, obviously. And so I came back, studied finance at Penn State, and then went to Wall Street. Um, um, was fortunate to get a great job in investment banking at Goldman Sachs in New York, uh, learned a ton, uh, which was, which was great. Stayed there for a little over a year, uh, before really re- kind of started to look for something where I felt more personally fulfilled. And so that was kind of the trigger, right? Cause, uh, fortunately money wasn't, uh, too much of an issue at that point. Um, and so, Started looking for something more fulfilling, trying to use my skill set uh, in finance and modeling and accounting, and ultimately kind of came across the, I guess, then kind of called the social impact investing sector, now kind of more traditionally impact investing, and um, came across a fund out in Connecticut called DWM Asset Management, uh, which was focused on primarily making equity investments, in equity and credit investments in financial institutions serving the global working class, the base of the pyramid in emerging markets. And so I spent most of my career doing that at DWM and another fund out in, out in Chicago called Creation Investments. And there what we did was primarily made uh, equity investments, growth equity investments in microfinance, microcredit, microinsurance institutions in Latin America and Asia. And so incredible opportunity, learned a ton there, 
got to travel to over 30 different countries and, and work and learn a lot about, about the not just different cultures, but different business practices, regulatory environments, and really saw because when you look at most financial institutions, we're talking about highly regulated entities, right? Particularly insurance and banks. Um, and so saw how these highly regulated institutions built financially sustainable businesses uh, that were still causing, kind of creating a social impact, right? Kind of these private solutions to public sector problems. And it's really with that lens that ultimately led me to found Seago because um, for me and for everyone on our team, it's very important to have some sort of social benefit to what we're doing. Um, I think it's important for me to build something that's financially sustainable. I think that's the only real way you can reach scale and really have a larger impact. And so when I saw my aunt struggle to get auto insurance, which made no sense, she's a great driver, safe driver. I mean, great driver. She's a very safe driver, drives slow, um, doesn't get tickets. She has a US driver's license, um, goes back and forth to work and pretty much that's it, right? And when I saw her struggling to get auto insurance, I thought, man, I, I, I wish I could personally just insure. It seems like a great risk. Um, and there, that's when I started digging, digging, kind of peeling back the onion, if you will, because I saw my aunt try to get insurance online. I saw her try to get insurance on the phone. And then ultimately she was forced to go to a brick and mortar, which seemed like it was 20 years ago to me, right? Like who's who's forced to go to a store to get something that I thought everyone got online? Turns out only 30% of people buy their insurance, auto insurance online today. Um, and so particularly when you look at the type of insurance my aunt was getting, which was your state minimum limits, liability only, kind of the cheapest insurance you can get to drive legally, over 90% is bought offline. And so the issue was my aunt was wanted to do this online, but she was forced to go to a store because they wanted to check her ID. She, they wanted her to sign her paperwork in person and they wanted to inspect her car. Um, and despite all that, that's all stuff that I thought, why don't, why aren't they using DocuSign over the phone? Why can't she just take pictures of her, of her car? Like what's up? Um, and anyway, just, I realized it's kind of a leftover of, of a antiquated industry. Um, and, and I saw an opportunity to, to do a better job here and not just for her, but for the broader immigrant community, because I think, um, uh, I, what I realized is it's not an isolated issue. It's actually pretty, pretty, uh, widespread. Um, Anyway, I could, I could talk about Seago and, and that is just for all the, all the, the whole the whole time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, of course. I mean, I think that was like a really great, um, that was a really great background. And I mean, basically the story about you on, I mean, that kind of uncovered this whole market for you, right? I mean, you telling me that 30% of all auto insurance is done offline and off the phone. And then 90% of that state minimum auto insurance is done in person as well. I mean, that is a huge opportunity to kind of these people and um, kind of bring them into a more efficient workflow with with Sigo Segura you in the in the press release you guys are talking about how you're removing uh, the drivers of bias from the process um, I feel like to a lot of people when they think about credit score and auto insurance or anything to do with getting a loan or anything like that they think okay that makes sense can you explain to the user or to, to anyone listening why, um, what actually is credit score and how does that introduce bias into the into processes like these? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so this is this is what I kind of took, spent a lot a lot of time learning. Like I said, I wasn't an insurance guy, and I just kind of slowly started understanding and peeling this back and and, and figuring it out. Um, 
I think there's the traditional insurance industry um, prides itself on being very data driven and the regulators are also kind of all required kind of data for you to, to really make a change. And so I, I want to be clear that there likely is some signal towards perfor customer performance on things like credit score, uh, on things like maybe a level of education. With that said, it's not a perfect correlation and it excludes a lot of people and penalizes a lot of people. That it's not the end all be all. Exactly. And I think it particularly there's, there's a portion of the immigrant community that gets penalized that unrightfully so, and I think they're at great risk. And so that's, that's where we're trying to, 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 to capture. Um, and so what, what is really credit score and ins insurance? Sometimes it's not directly called credit score. They call it insurance score, but it's basically the same thing. Um, but credit scores often takes into account your credit history, uh, your credit usage, how much, uh, if you have any credit cards, if you have any loans, if you have any uh, a car lease, a mortgage, your payment history, how often you've how often you've been late, if you have any missed payments, if you have any delinquent debt. And so you have these big credit scoring companies uh, like and like FICO, for example, which is the, the standard um, that have use all that data to then create. So kind of credit availability, credit usage, payment history, all those things go into this FICO score which on the high end is like a great score is an 800, a terrible score is like a 500. Um, and that's all seems fair and well, right? Pretty good for in, in general, in terms of if you're gonna give someone a credit card, maybe like understanding whether they've paid back in the past makes sense. Um, but the issue is when you look at insurance, one, it's a mandated product by regulators, right? And so, and and oftentimes it's something that's prioritized. People aren't don't want to drive without insurance. So it's very different than paying back a consumer credit card versus uh, versus paying your insurance. And so that's 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 one of the insights. But more broadly, I think it's a societal challenge that we have in the U.S. and I, I mean really across the world is just lack of financial literacy. And these products that are built by educated people that that have really helped modernize society, right? I don't want to bash credit at all. It's it's a huge. It's it's it's, it's what modern uh, economies are built on. Um, but the issue is that you have young people that aren't financially literate or aren't educated, and it's very easy for an 18 year old that doesn't have any experience and doesn't have parents that would with with credit to just get a $500 credit card buy some sneakers and never pay back and forget about it. Their parents don't have credit, so I'm not gonna use credit either. And then they just have this credit score chasing them for the rest of their lives because they didn't pay back a credit card or they missed a, a car payment at some point or whatever. And so I think that's that's the the where we, we see kind of some of the bias that's unfair. And and that's just credit score, because I mean, I could we could talk about employment, we could talk about education, we could talk about a lot of the misdemeanors and, and criminal offenses that raise your insurance costs, um, despite the fact that we know that in minority neighborhoods, policing is heavier than in majority white and affluent neighborhoods, despite similar rates of, of cannabis usage, for example. Um, and so all those things are things that kind of I, I learned about. And, and I think what we ultimately came to the conclusion is that, look, we can do just as good of a job, if not better, without these things. We can introduce things like tisc discounts for telematics. We can we can do stuff with less data. There's there's a lot of there's a huge focus on data, 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 and more data, and, and analyzing and getting as much data as possible. But I, I think a lot of people miss out on the value of doing something with less data. Um, and so that's that's a little bit of kind of the the way we're we're looking at it, and and some of the challenges with credit scores and some of the other things. 
Yeah, like personally, like I've done, um, you know, a, a, a moderate amount of research into like credit uh, in general and like how the calculation of credit scores and how, like you said, these systemic externalities, how they influence whole communities and geographical areas ability to kind of interact with the financial system. It's um, it's really shocking, like how how um, I would say like underserved a lot of communities are just by the very nature of how these how these like structures work. Is it fair to say that at, at uh, Siegel you guys are, I guess, kind of trying to reinvent the insurance underwriting model um, to kind of cater to your specific uh, consumer that you guys are targeting and kind of taking the factors that are specialized to that to that to those needs of like immigrant communities and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think that is fair. And and one thing I I, I say often is that a, a product built for the majority, a product built for everyone, is a product built for the majority. And and what I mean by that is that people want to build a product that that can serve everyone, but it's that's impossible. And you will default to serving as many people as possible, which often leaves out minorities and and our community in particular. And so I think we we very much took the approach is look, let's look at our community's needs let's figure out what's what is what are the challenges how can we fix them and and that's kind of really really how this all started i started as an insurance broker selling insurance over the phone um we had a five question wordpress forum name zip code type of car email and phone number and then me and my co-founder just started calling people and we called several hundred people before we were able to start selling insurance and realize what are the challenges and, and how can we solve them? And, and that's kind of how this all snowballed into our launch today in, in kind of launching our own insurance product. Um, but I think you're, you're hitting it right, right on the head is that we've built something with our community in mind for our community. And, and that's kind of part of, part of what's different. I, I think um, it's very different, for example, when you read something that was written in Spanish versus something that was translated from English to Spanish, right? And I think that that kind of analogy kind of permeates throughout our whole product and how we built this with a lot of nuance and understanding of, of what our customer needs. Very interesting. And one thing that stood out to me when I was reading the, the release for the new product, um, it mentioned the in, uh, insurance industry workforce, only around 21% of the workforce is non-white. And that kind of uh, brought up the question to me when we, we understand how the current insurance industry, the way it's structured is the rates really favor a specific demographic, the affluent suburban market really seems to unfairly penalize the working class, like you mentioned, um, as well as ethnic minority groups. And I'm, and I'm curious from your perspective, do you think that when you think about what's the reason for this is are these data driven you talked about how these insurance companies are really looking at data is this really backed by the empirical data or do you think there's something maybe more systemic at play here where it could be um we're we're seeing these groups uh, almost being targeted systemically and, uh, and unfairly penalized i'm curious what what you think is the reason the system is how it is today yeah i think there's a history of racism that's hard to ignore in the United States, right? And, and particularly when you look at minority communities and the history of redlining when it comes to housing and mortgages and the challenges with credit score, uh, I think it's impossible to ignore, right? And so I think everyone in insurance particularly will tell you that the decisions are mostly data-driven 
And that's fair, but I mean, it depends what data you're looking at, right? You have limited data and honest data can pretty easily be manipulated in, in most cases, particularly in an industry where you have such deep uh, amounts of data and expertise on, on kind of looking at that data. And so I think it's mostly, uh, but, but rather, rather than, I, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily taking the, the most cynical view here and saying that it's done on purpose. I think there's structural issues that have led, led us to where we are today. And I think it's more than anything, a blind spot, right? Latinos are the most underrepresented group when it comes to insurance executives. It's very difficult for you to solve a problem that you don't know about or you don't know anyone that has that problem, right? It's very difficult for someone who doesn't speak Spanish to build an experience that is natively Spanish, right? And, and similarly, it's very difficult for someone to solve my aunt's problem when they've never met her or anyone like her or have heard about her problems. And so I think largely it's a challenge of, of blind spots and familiarity. Um, and, and what you've seen is these little kind of corners of the market end up getting exploited um, by bad actors on one end, but also kind of you have private equity that has rolled up a lot of these agencies in the space and has been making a killing for the last two decades, kind of just going under the radar. Um, if you see a lot of these insurance agencies and brokerages with Spanish names, um, you'd see that a lot of them are private equity backed and, and roll up plays. Um, and so it's it's not something that's kind of gone completely uh, missed, but but it's it's something that the industry hasn't been interested in fixing. Um, it's not a problem that affects most most incumbents. Um, people are making money off of the ultimately the the lowest income, the most vulnerable, the most desperate customers. The the those models are fee driven. They squeeze every last dollar out of the customer, and it's and it's partially because their operating models are, have bloated cost structures. They wouldn't be able to operate without charging these fees. If they got rid of all the fees that Sego has gotten rid of, they wouldn't be profitable. They'd be out of business. Um, and on the other hand, it's it's they're they're stuck because they don't know how to fix the problems. They don't want to invest in, in learning. Um, and especially when you look at sponsors and private equity, they have fund life. They have a limited amount of time that they're invested. They're they're going to invest one extra dollar in buying some more EBITDA in another agency so that they can sell in three to five years versus investing in technology like we have and looking for the long term over the next ten to fifty years, right? Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of challenges. I think I think it's it's impossible to ignore the biases that have, are baked in to, in our society, and that is going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of time to unwind. Um, but but I think it's 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 also it's it's not all active. I think it's it's more uh, of a of an ignorance kind of uh, issue. Yeah, I mean you you definitely have like a lot of serious deep knowledge in on the topic i mean i would expect nothing less from uh someone who's founding a company in this space but uh i mean i really love um everything that you're saying you're touching on a lot of big topics that i personally know that people struggle with that um people are kind of subjected to for no reasons of their own and um i agree when you say that it's not about taking a cynical approach but it's about taking an approach that's going to actually solve the problems that exist and you need to be willing to open up your kind of like your brain and your eyes to seeing what exactly needs to be fixed and like what are the different approaches we can take to solve them for specific that's, communities. That's so key. I think that one thing, what you said there is like 
it's not necessarily worrying about why things are the way they are. It's about right. recognizing that things are the way they are and fixing them and moving, yeah, moving forward. forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was really insightful. Uh, we appreciate your time, Nestor. I know we're coming up, coming up on time here, um, and you have a very busy schedule. I guess one thing uh, to, to kind of uh, wrap up this conversation. Obviously, the big big news today launched the first uh, product. What's what are some of the key milestones for this year and the future that you guys have uh, planned? I think with the product that we're launching today, we I, I'm confident we're ahead of our competitors in terms of technology, customer service, and, and really the customer experience, right? And so now what we need to do is get the word out. And so the, the next milestone is about proving this out in Texas. And, and then once this is proved out in Texas over the next three to six months, the idea is that we go out and expand geographically. I think there's particularly, we're looking at kind of 10 states um, that would cover 80% of our market and really looking at three states when you talk about California, Texas, and Florida that really cover the bulk of, of the challenges for, for our community when it comes to coming getting auto insurance. So I think those are that's that's the kind of next set of milestones is geographic expansion after proving this out in Texas. And then we've already gotten a lot of reverse inquiry for other products from our customers. As I mentioned, we've been running an agency business. And so we have several hundred customers in the agency that have followed up asking for renter's insurance, asking if we do remittances. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with a kind of a funny little anecdote. In, in a lot of Latino neighborhoods, um, People go to the brick and mortar to get auto insurance, but not just like an insurance agency. A lot of people go to the multi-services, the multi-services, um, which is kind of where you go to do the complicated stuff. You go there to get auto insurance. You go there to send money back home. You go there to pay your bills. You do your taxes there and you do your legal legal work. You can get divorced at the, all at the same spot if you want, right? And so that, that multi-services model, I think presents a lot of interesting opportunities for us to replicate. And I'm, and I'm not necessarily suggesting we're gonna start offering tax prep or divorces online, but I think there's a lot of opportunity to do things like remittances. Uh, beyond, exactly, exactly. And doing stuff beyond just insurance. But but I think right now we're, we're really focused on, on solving this issue of car insurance, making sure people have the coverage they, they, have, they, they need to get to work, to take their kids to school, to live their life without necessarily needing to to uh, to spend spend every last dollar and, and cut into their grocery budget, and so I think um, hopefully by the end of next year we'll be we'll be in a few other states uh, with our product and and also looking looking at at new products as, as well. Great, great. We're very excited for you. Um, for for our listeners uh, who may be looking or have uh, family members looking for this kind of insurance product, where can they uh, learn more? They should check us out at SigoSeguros.com. That's S I G O. S-E-G-U-R-O-S.com. Um, feel free to reach out. Our phone number is 877-476-7446. Um, and I'm always happy to, to connect with entrepreneurs or, or anyone that thinks that, hey, they could, I could help them out. So feel free to reach out on, on social media. Um, Nestor Solari on Twitter, Nestor Hugo Solari on, on Instagram. Uh, and and happy, happy to help if I can. Well, thanks Excellent. a lot, Nestor. I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, I think uh, Sigo Seguro is definitely looking to solve problems that, uh, to you know, for lack of a better term, you know, just need to be solved as as quickly as possible because these are growing populations, and that means these issues are going to be growing in tandem. 
for sure, for sure. And uh, the U.S. is the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world after Mexico, and um, wow. and I think we're we're starting to to realize that. <laughs> and so, yeah. Thanks for the time, guys. Really enjoyed it.